passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. new episode that's right it's the return of cruel summer here at postwrestling.com our look back at the finals of each and every g1 climax tournament and uh maybe people thought wh you finished this you said you finished this last year with the review of tanahashi versus abushi from 2018 but if you go back and listen to that episode that i did with john pollock I said that we might bring this back covering the 2019 uh, G1 Climax Finals. And, and here we are, we're covering it, and I'm back. And I'm joined today by uh, a first-time guest, uh, for me at least, on, on any of the shows that I've done. And uh, I'm really excited to be talking with uh, Stephanie Chase, who is a UK-based wrestling journalist who covers professional wrestling for outlets like Digital Spy and Sports Key to Wrestling, as well as doing like tons of interviews with people in the professional wrestling business on her uh, YouTube channel, Stephanie Chase Wrestling Interviews. And uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. So I'm familiar with you through, like you did an appearance with my good friends, Brayden Harrington and, and Davey Portman on, on one of their shows. And then, uh, you know, I, I checked you on Twitter, and I'm like, oh wow, she does a lot of writing for for like uh, actual, you know, media outlets for covering mm-hmm. wrestling, and and then oh wow, she does interviews, and you've got tons of interviews on your YouTube channel, but um, and there's a video there where it talks about like your or, the origins of your fandom into professional wrestling and as a whole through the WWF WWE. So mm-hmm. I, you know, people want to know more about that. I, I do want to direct them towards your YouTube channel and, and find that video. But uh, for the purposes of today's uh, you know episode about uh, the G1 Climax Finals from last year, I want to know about the origins of your fandom uh, to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Cool. Well, um, it started really because I am Irish and I found out about Prince David. So I started watching some of his matches just to see like this Irish guy that was working in Japan. I thought that was really cool. And that was just around the time that he formed Bullet Club. So I was pretty into it like at that point, um, just really watching like all of his stuff. And then he left for WWE and we all know how that worked out. <laughs> um, and then I kind of like fell off watching it until... Uh, Chris Jericho decided to come in for Wrestle Kingdom 12. Against Kenny Omega. Yeah. Um, And because I'm a really big Jericho fan, I was like, I have to watch this live. And when I was kind of preparing to watch it, 
Um, I listen to like, you know, a lot of preview podcasts and stuff. I probably listened to you and John talk about it and kind of like learned what was going on at the time. And then I, I learned about this new guy that was coming in or coming back called Jay White. And I thought, hmm, he sounds interesting. And then I watched Wrestle Kingdom 12 and I saw his match. Well, I was watching it for Jericho, but then I saw Jay's match with Tanahashi. And I was like, I think I may have found my new favorite wrestler here. Well, that's that's good to know that you're a Jay White fan because <laughs> we're going to be talking <laughs> yeah. about one Mr. Jay White. And um, how about Kota Ibushi? Where, where would you rank Kota Ibushi in your fandom? Uh, I love Kota um, a lot. I think he's tremendous. I think he's like the most lovely, like unicorn type magical figure of wrestling. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I really, really enjoyed the storyline that he did with Kenny in New Japan. But then I really enjoyed this kind of solo period of Kota actually a lot more, I think him kind of going out on his own. So, yeah, I would rank um, Kota definitely in my top five New Japan wrestlers. So when, you know, this match gets kind of decided, like by, you mm-hmm. know, like Kota Bushi wins the A block and Jay White wins the B block, and you, you realize, oh, my God, two of my favorite wrestlers are going to be in the finals of the G1 Climax. Like, what was, what were you, what was like, what were you thinking about in terms of, like, anticipation? Like, who were you rooting for? To, to win the match and like what kind of expectations did you have from the match itself? Well, firstly, this is the final that I wanted uh, so much. Like when the blocks were announced, I was hoping it would be Jay and Coda in the final. Uh, that's all I wanted. So when it worked out like that, I was absolutely ecstatic. Um, but the reason I wanted them to meet was I thought they were going to be such a good opposite, like their characters. Cause I see Coda as such a, like just such a good baby face the way he works and he every time I watch Koda I just feel like such emotion for him and sympathy for him and then I see Jay as just the best heel so I thought they were going to be really good facing off against each other so I was really excited for this match just to see what they could do and it was absolutely like what I wanted I think it's the only prediction I got right in the whole tournament that these two would be in the final. Well, this is this was a final that I I was hoping wouldn't happen because uh, <laughs> as much as you are a fan of the Switchblade Jay White, I I am probably as equally a, not a fan of uh, the you know the character, the wrestling personality that is the Switchblade. Um, that that being said, like I I really liked Jay White when he was a, a young lion in the dojo with like Shotanaka and Yohei Komatsu and of course David Finley. Like I thought this guy's got a lot. I thought he was. The, the best of the, you know, of he's one of the best young islands. It was him and like Shotanaka that I thought these guys are got something a little, just a little bit more. That's nothing against David Finley, who I'm a huge fan of, and, and Yohei Komatsu, Yohei, uh, Yo in Rapongi 3K, that like I like him a, a lot too. But I just thought these two just had the little certain je ne sais quoi, as the French would say, a little bit more than the other two. And, and so, like, when he did his excursion going to America, particularly in Ring of Honor, I, I thought, wow, he's, he's doing really well there because I think of Jay White as a really, you know, prototypical great baby face. Like, especially, like, you know, he does kind of have, like, a baby face, you know, like, just the physical uh-huh. features and the way yeah. he wrestled and just the kind of, like, the fire he had. So I 
when they started doing the the vignettes for this new character called the Switchblade, people were saying, oh, maybe it's Jay White. And I would think, why would it be Jay White? That makes no sense. There's nothing that I've ever seen in Jay White's work in promos or anything like that that would indicate that he's like some kind of serial killer or some, you know, another term that's, you know, was popularly bandied about, a knife pervert. Like, okay, I I thought it might have been someone like, you know, Sammy Callahan, like that kind of a type of wrestler. But so when it's revealed that it's Jay White, I was like, okay, I'll I'll give this a chance because I did like Jay White. And then, I don't know, from from the moment he he came out in the Tokyo Dome as the Switch Flayed to to even to this day, Stephanie, I I have not enjoyed this character. Like, I think maybe there's like one or two matches of his that I actually have enjoyed and rated more than, I don't know, like say three stars. Um, it, it, for me, like people ask me, why do you, why do you dislike Jay White so much? And I, and I'm like, I, it's not, a, it's not Jay White. I don't like it's switchblade. I just feel for me, like I understand the appeal to other people, including yourself. But for me, it's like this kind of like square peg being like China hammered into this round hole. That is new Japan pro wrestling uh, and, and Japanese wrestling as a whole. That's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thought because, firstly, like I think that he's a total heel; that he should be a heel. Um, because I've like looked back at his older work as well, and I, I know what he was like in Ring of Honor. But I saw some early promos and stuff he did, especially when he was over here in the UK, and it was a lot more like the kind of cocky switchblade character that he's doing now. And I think there's something about he does have such a baby face, like literally. And now, of course, he's trying to hide it with the beard. But for me, like the way that he looks physically and the contrast to the character totally worked. So I just can't I'm at the point where I can't imagine him as a baby face. And one of the things I like about him is I think he's a fantastic promo. I I think he's one of the best promos just in wrestling generally. Um, so I, like, I'm always scared that they're going to turn him face or something. Cause I kind of don't want to see that happen. Right. I, I mean, with his promos, like I, I see where you're coming from, but for me, like whenever I watch his interviews or promos, I'm like, why are you screaming so much? Dude, <laughs> just shut the fuck up. Okay. Just, just say what you need to say. Just stop screaming. I, and I know it's his character. Like I, to some yeah. degree, I guess I buy into it as, as, as a fan, like that is, he's supposed to be annoying me, but like he legit annoys me like with his promo style. And, and I think part of the, part of the, the other thing that about his work is like, I feel it's, it's designed to follow a formula. Like a lot of his matches follow a formula where, okay, at some point, you know, usually Red Shizuno is going to take a bump. You're going to get mm-hmm. ghetto interfering in the match. And, and this is a problem I see like generally with, with ghetto now is like, he, he has to be a star in, you know, in the matches of, people he manages include like with jay white and then like a little bit with evil in his quest to become the iwgp champion in the new japan cup um in the later stages of that and i just like ah okay and then you i think we'll talk a little bit about evil during the course of this review but um that's that's my feeling i and i get like I'm, i'm not one of these people that thinks i don't understand why anybody likes this guy or any other wrestler that i don't like i understand like 99 percent of the time if there's a wrestler i don't like I understand why other people do like that person. It's not just like uh, if I'm right, everyone's wrong. It's, it's wrestling, of course, is like a matter of opinion. But my opinion is like, oh, this guy annoys me. I I don't like the way he his matches go. But it's good that you're on because I don't want this to be like 
you know, just a, a shit upon Jay White, like, uh, you know, podcast an hour that if I had like Joe Lemon from the Grapple Spotlight, maybe it would have been like that. And he and I would have had a lot of fun. But I, I want to have a lot of fun talking about like your point of view about the participants in this match and my point of view about the participants of this match. So with that being said, Stephanie, let's get into some background information about the, the 29th edition of the G1 Climax. Uh, it, it started for on July 6th in Dallas, Texas, the first time the G1 has uh, taken place outside of Japan, and it, and it ran until August 12th, uh, 2019, which, of course, the last three nights of this tournament were at the, the Budokan Hall, and I was fortunate enough to be at the Budokan the last, the last year, the previous year in 2018 for the last two the last three nights of that tournament. Uh, unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately. I, I was back in Toronto, Stephanie, during uh, you know this time period and like the this time in August last year, hanging out with like, John and Way, Braden and Davy, and, and a bunch of other people, including also people in my personal life. So I had a really nice vacation back in Toronto. So I, I couldn't watch these like live on New Japan World or go to any of these shows live in person. But uh, it's okay. I, I I woke up early to to watch my nightmare come true of, of Jay White going into the finals by when he defeated Tetsuya Naito. But, um, you know, so in this in this tournament, uh, there's 20 wrestlers in two blocks, A block and B block, of, of course. Uh, we had some debuts, uh, first-time wrestlers appearing in the G1. We had Jeff Cobb, John Moxley, Taichi, Kenta, Shigo Takagi, and Will Ospreay. And of those names, uh, Stephanie, which, which names excited you the most about the debuts? Oh, firstly, Moxley, for sure, uh, because... I was a real, real Dean Ambrose hater, to be honest, um, when he was in WWE. And then when he started working in New Japan, I was like, okay, wow, maybe this guy was actually being held back and is really great. Um, so then when he was signed up for the G1, I thought, like, this is his chance to properly prove himself because I think there's no better way to prove yourself than to do a G1. So I was really excited to see a Moxley. Yeah, for me, like Moxley is definitely, you know, someone who I was like very, very intrigued by entering the G1. He had, of course, like done some matches before uh, with with New Japan and just like kind of shown, uh, he showed us a really different side of himself. But like for me, like I think the name that excited me the most was Shigo Takaki because like I'm a long time fan of this guy from his days in in Dragon Gate and and then when he debuted in the company and I thought, oh my God, this guy is going to have awesome matches with everyone in his block. Uh, and, and he did. I think like he was one of the most consistent performers in this thing. Um, we had a return, Stephanie, of Lance Archer. He returned to being in the G1 after like a five-year absence. The last time he was in this was in 2014. So he had kind of reinvented himself at this point and, and, and kind of really gotten himself over to the point where like, okay, we're going to put you in the G1 this year, I th- which I thought was a really great story going into the G1. Yeah, I think that uh, Archer is one of the people that kind of benefited the most from this G1 just in general. I'm not sure that he'd be in AEW now if it wasn't for this G1 because he really showed himself uh, what he could do, like anyone that might have written him off. And especially that opening match he had with Osprey was um, like one of the most uh, unforgettable G1 matches I've ever seen. It might have just been because I, I was watching it at work in an office <laughs> and I was so uh, enthralled and like excited by it that I was just at my desk making all these 
really weird facial expressions that people were wondering what was wrong with me. And I had to say, like, there's just this incredible match going on. And then I had to go outside when it ended to calm down. <laughs> but Archie definitely, uh, he had a really, really good G1. He did indeed. Um, so what? Let, let's talk a bit about, like, you know, New Japan's decision to run this event. The first night of it in Dallas, Texas. What, what when when you heard that? What was your what was your initial reaction? And what did you think about the the finished product after watching that show? My initial reaction was I thought it was a really cool idea, um, mostly. But then I also do like New Japan to kind of keep traditions, so I always worry when they do something new. Um, but I think bringing it to America definitely put more eyes on it which is always good i'm not sure that the actual the show was pretty good um i just feel like it wasn't maybe i don't know maybe the crowd or something just weren't as great as i thought they would be but they definitely put on some really good matches for the american crowd i just kind of wish that they'd done and i know that they couldn't but if they'd done just two nights i think that would have been better but I guess they couldn't because of Moxley. Well, I think also that they were in a, a bit of a smaller venue because, like, you know, like it's, they had a good attendance for that. But, like, with the American Airlines Center being so big, it's like it doesn't look good when you have the camera pans around. You see all these empty seats. Yeah. And, and, and I just thought if they had it in a, in a bit of a smaller venue, it would have looked more full. And I think the, the noise would have been better. But, you know, that is what it is. Um, let's talk a bit about uh, Jay White. Um, his year, his 2019. So he he was on a roll, really. Like he had he had yeah. won the IWGP Heavyweight Title from Hiroshi Tanahashi, and then he he headlined the, the Madison Square Garden show uh, during WrestleMania weekend, and where he lost the title to Kazuchika Okada. And then he was kind of coming into this trying to, I guess, at this point in his his career, like the the story for him was like kind of trying to regain momentum uh, and kind of regain his place at the top spot in the company. Yeah, he his year started off um, so amazing with Wrestle Kingdom and then winning the title, which, you know, for me was just one of the best moments in, in wrestling history. Um, and then I was there in Madison Square Garden when he lost the title, uh, which was uh, just like I totally expected that to happen. Um, and I was, I was in Madison Square Garden surrounded by a lot of Jay White haters. <laughs> We were like very, I was surrounded by, uh, because it was a Ring of Honor co-promoted show, I was just surrounded by like Ring of Honor dude type guys, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know Who's, exactly what you mean. I And I'm, I'm sorry to hear you had to do, endure that. I've had to endure that many times in my uh, fandom in Toronto at Ring of Honor shows in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I was there in um, my the Jay White t-shirt and I was like cheering for him and the, just these guys were like, um, shouting like, like Jay White sucks or um, shit Kenny they kept shouting shit Kenny um, <laughs> and then because I was cheering for him I noticed like they were all kind of just looking at me and talking amongst themselves so it's kind of like what and so one of them was like um, are you Jay White's girlfriend I said no and then they were like oh, right, we're just wondering why you would be cheering for him <laughs> and it's like well you know just a fan and then uh, when Okada won, which is what I thought was going to happen, I got up and cheered. And one of the guys turned around and was like, what kind of Jay White fan are you? And I just said, a realistic one. Uh, because 
<laughs> I didn't think for a second they were going to end that MSG show without Okada winning. But then, yeah, he seemed to get into a bit of a slump after that. And then he had a feud with my least favorite New Japan wrestler, Goto, which almost put me off watching his matches during that period. We're the complete opposite here, Stephanie. I, I'm a huge Hiroki Goto fan. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's cool and you know i gotta say like you talk about this experience you had at madison square garden and to me like i, I hear this story and like i completely understand why like women like applaud having a women's only section at wrestling shows it's like i like on behalf of my gender i am sorry you have to deal with like some really idiotic male wrestling fans <laughs> yeah and it's funny because like they were also the kind of fans who really knew nothing about New Japan at all. They were just there for the Ring of Honor stuff. And they were still in their old, like, you know, elite Bullet Club merch. <laughs> just thinking that, like, you know, Marty Skull's the best wrestler on the planet. And then when all the, you know, New Japan matches happened, they just really had no interest whatsoever. <laughs> you know, they were the kind of guys that thought the Enzo stuff was great. <laughs> well, I mean, like, let's get back to a point you made where like these fans are chanting at Jay, like shit, Kenny, like, and so like, you know, later on, like Kenny Omega would like, you know, reveal in an interview, like that the original plan for this show was like for him to beat Tanahashi at Russell kingdom, continue on being the IWGP champion. And then he would face Okada yeah. uh, in the main event of the show where he would drop the title to Okada. So like, then the talk becomes about Jay white that he's kind of like, you know, the, the placeholder, for Kenny and like he's kind of like the transition champ from Tanahashi to Okada and I thought if that was the case you should I thought personally like you know New Japan should have just kept the belt on Tanahashi because I don't think short title reigns like I think I don't know how many I think he had like one defense right since he won the title and then before he lost it to Okada I don't think this does anyone any good and like I would say the first time Naito won the title before you know this year like that was a terrible mistake on their part as well and i think they're probably going to do the same thing as of this recording i mean this won't be broadcast until probably after the jingu stadium show but i i will say like as of this recording that i think they're going to do the same thing to evil i don't think he's going to have that belt for very long i in fact i do believe that tetsuya naito is probably going to regain that belt uh, at the Jingu Stadium show, and I and at the end, it's like, what's the point of putting these belts on these guys if it doesn't, if it's not for to establish them at a certain level, like for the long term? And um, I don't know, like just back to Jake White, like what did you think when, like you know, this is you know Kenny Omega says all these things? What was your perception of the booking of Jake White at that point? When he won the title, my feeling was that yeah, it was going to be a short win, and he was just going to be a transitional champion which like I'm with you I don't agree with the short reigns I don't think it does anyone any good so as much as I was happy for him to win the title I thought well you know you're not going to keep it very long are you really um so yeah when Kenny made those comments it it, uh, it would have made more sense just for Tanahashi not to drop the title but I think I don't know I, I think maybe Gato Gato's obviously so high on Jay that I think he just saw an opening or you can give Jay the belt and then he'll always be a former champion. But it's not something that I would have done personally, like at all. No, I, I think it would have been nicer, I think, 
you know, for Tanahashi to get that main event spot. That's just, you know, that's the, you know, the big Tanahashi fan that I am saying that. But let's get back to this tournament, Stephanie. Let's let's talk about the path to the final. So Kota Ibushi, uh, he defeated in his block Lance Archer, Bad Luck Fale, Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Sonata, and Hiroshi Tanahashi, and of course Kazuchika Okada in the A Block Finals. Uh, he his his losses were to both uh, Evil and to Kenta. Uh, Jay White in B Block defeated Jeff Cobb, John Moxley, Juice Robinson, Taichi, Shingo Takagi, and of course Tetsuya Naito in the B Block Finals. His losses came to Hiroki Goto, yay! Tomohiro Ishii, yay! And Toriyano. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of agnostic about that 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 result, but yeah, what what did you think about each like Kota Bushi's uh, path to the A Block Finals and, and Jay White's path to the B Block Finals? Well, Kota's path, um, he had a lot of great matches in it, um, and I think this was because this was his first year, his first G1 actually being proper, fully signed to New Japan, wasn't it? Yes. So I expected him. I expected him to really shine in the G1 and him to be someone that was really going to take that block. So, yeah, he had a lot of good matches and a lot of good wins. Jay's path, I love the story that they told where he lost all his initial matches um, and then won all the last matches. Uh, his first match with Goto, you know, well, as I've said, I do not, I think Goto is the most boring man on the planet. <laughs> The most like the most boring wrestler on the planet, and that but that feud that they had to me, like Jay, just emasculated Goto so much um, in his promos that when it came to their match at the G One, I just thought like Goto has to win this match or he's literally dead as a wrestler. <laughs> like he's even less uh, less of a person to me than he was before. So when Goto won. That was fine. Uh, then he had a really good match against Ishii. Uh, then he had a Yano match against Yano. But once he started winning, he had some really good matches in there. Like, I really wanted to see him against Moxley, and I thought that was good as well. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, for me, like, a lot of his matches, again, like, it follows the formula, like, of, you know, like, oh, he's got to do all this cheating. He's got to throw the guy into the barrier 17 fucking times. And, and Ghetto's got to get involved. He's got to, you know, tease hitting someone with the brass knucks and this and that. And I, I can't remember all the results of, like, what happens in each of these matches that he had in, on the way here. I didn't go back and watch all of his matches or Kodobushi's for that matter. I did watch the, 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 the block finals for each for each guy, though. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But like, they, this brings us, of course, to August 12th. 2019 in, in the, the Nippon Budokan Hall, and the attendance for this show was 9,641 people. And can I just tell you something, Steph? That this building, compared to Sumo Hall, is amazing. Like the the first thing I thought when I got into it in 2018 was, my God, the air conditioner is working. This place is not ungodly hot like Sumo Hall is. It looks beautiful on TV as well. Oh, it's just a really great building. My only complaint would be the hallways. They're very narrow. So when you're leaving, it's re- it takes a long time to get out of, of, of Budokan Hall. But but Sumo Hall, like, I, I don't know if you ever listened to Japanese audio wrestling, the show I did with Chris Charlton. Like, I, yeah. did, two, I did two nights with like in, in that building with Chris Charlton, and he and I were both dying at the end. <laughs> like, and I, after the first night, like, I, I actually 
stayed with Chris at his at his home, and then we, we came back to Tokyo, and, <laughs> and I was just like, I was dreading it. I was like, I know the matches are going to be really good, but my God, I don't want to be in this building anymore. And and wouldn't wouldn't you know it? The second night in Simo Hall was even worse than the first night because we actually sat higher up in the building, and we were pretty high up. We were up in the like the the upper levels, but we were actually close to the roof on the second night, and I was dying. It was so bad up there. But Sumo, but Budokan Hall, beautiful, nice air conditioning, great sight lines. We had amazing seats, and I cannot complain at all about Budokan Hall. And and I hope one of these days I, I get to go back and watch some wrestling back in there, Stephanie. That's good to hear because I would love to go to a Budokan Hall. So it's nice to know that I will be feeling cool and spacious well i will tell you if you if you come to japan like if you're not a fan of the heat and we were talking a bit before off air that you're not a real fan of the heat you're 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 kind of experiencing in the united kingdom right now but you know spring wonderful the fall great time especially if you're going to see a show at sumo hall go in the fall it's it's really comfortable in the fall go in the winter it's really comfortable in there in the winter but i i do not recommend like coming here in the summer unless you really really want to watch like the g1 you know so that brings us to uh yeah so uh, Kota Ibushi uh defeated Kazuchika Okada Jay White defeated uh Tetsuya Naito and I I I ranked you know the the Ibushi versus Okada match a bit bit higher than I did the White Naito one the White Naito one I thought uh was kind of flat like it it didn't it wasn't that long which is not a bad thing in itself but I I just thought like he kind of beat Naito pretty handily for the most part in this in 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 the B block finals yeah, for me, you know, Jay going up against Naito, that was like my worry because obviously everyone, everyone just wants Naito to win everything. <laughs> and I really thought like this was the, the time that he was in danger. But I thought, yeah, their match was okay. But I didn't think that they gelled very well against each other. I don't think that they were that good an opponent for each other. I. I think they're very, like, heel Naito, like when he first introduced the Tranquilo character after coming back from Mexico, I think it's very much the prototype for for Jay White, like Switchblade character. Oh, well, maybe, but uh, I don't know. There's just something about Naito that I can't really connect with, and I see, like, everyone else connecting with him, so I wonder why what I'm missing. But, um... Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd want to see those two in a prolonged feud anytime, really. Well, if Jay White is able to get back into Japan, <laughs> we're saying again at the time of this recording, he's he's not back in Japan. He he might be like you know come come the end of end of August here, but twelve um, away. <laughs> but like I I think that's definitely like a program that New Japan will go to is like you know extended feud between. Tetsuya Naito and, and Jay White, and may, maybe then you know, like there's going to be, um, excuse me, uh, kind of a, a, a you know, maybe they'll do something that will uh, you know make you a fan of that that matchup. Uh, there, there's nothing they can do to make me a fan of that matchup. I can tell you that right here and now. But um, I want to talk a bit about the the undercard of the August 12th show before we get into the main event, Stephanie, and because there was a really major angle that happened on here, we had. You know the the kind of the double event of both Kenta turning heel on his partners in a six man tag against uh, he turned heel on Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi and he joined the Bullet Club and I 
hated this because I absolutely despise the Bullet Club. I just think it's it's, it's it's a gimmick that's like run its course. I I hate pretty much everyone in this group. And so like to see one of my favorite wrestlers of all time join this group was really disheartening for me. But I you know to be fair, like I think turning heel and and joining Bullet Club has done wonders for for Kenta in the company. But the other major event and maybe even more significant. In the, in, the, in the sense of the pop that this got was that Katsuyori Shibata, you know, he ran into the ring and, like, and, and took out his former, and was taking out his former friend because, you know, Kenta and Shibata are, are great friends. And, you know, it was said that Shibata was the one who got Kenta into New Japan after he had left the WWE. He's the one who got Kenta into the G1. And now he's betrayed all of that. And then, like, just to see Shibata doing stuff in the ring, I, I, I had... You know, two thoughts running in my mind concurrently was one, oh my god, he's wrestling again, and two was, oh my god, he's wrestling again. Please don't get hurt. Please don't do anything to jeopardize your health. Yeah, absolutely. Like that was the feeling you want to see him again, but then you you don't want him to do anything because you're so scared for him. But I thought this, I thought this was one of the best uh, wrestling angles of the year. I think I put this in like a top ten list of angles of that year like Kenta turning on Shibata and joining the Bullet Club I think it was really well executed and I think with the reception Kenta was kind of getting throughout the tournament it was something that kind of needed to happen and this new cool evil Kenta has been pretty good oh I I think it's done wonders I think you know like he showed a lot of personality when he was a heel on in the WWE and, and on 205 Live, I think he's one of the highlights actually of that show when he was there. Yeah. And so, like for me, like I, I don't mind him being a heel because, like, kind of when he was even in in Noah, like he was kind of like this kind of heelish kind of character, like a very type Minoru Suzuki type of character, right? So, mm-hmm. and actually, I think for for me, I, if he was going to turn heel and join a faction, like I rather he joined Suzuki Gun, but that's just you know my preference. Oh, anyway, he would have been a good fit in Suzuki Gun, but I think it was uh, good for Bullet Club to have that kind of more like big Japanese star in there. But would you be more of a Bullet Club fan if they just made Kenta leader? Uh, no, I, 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 I don't think I can see anything that the Bullet Club would ever do to like make me <laughs> a fan of theirs. Like the only yeah. time I've, I've liked anything that involved the Bullet Club was when like, you know, the, uh, you know, Tamatanga and Tankaloa turned on the elite. Cause I might hate the elite, more than I hate the Bullet Club, um, but so like when they when like when like when King Haku comes out and he's joining his sons and beating the shit out of like Kenny the Bucks and Cody, like I was like yes because I love King Haku and he, seeing him pile drive all these guys was just like absolute pure joy to me. But yeah, I I'm still no nah, the the Bullet Club uh, just it's done. It's like the NWO now at this point, right? It's like NWO Hollywood, just. It's just come on. Let's just kind. Of, I, and to be fair, Stephanie, like if you got rid of all the factions that we have right now and just kind of retooled them and just freshened all the allegiances up, I'd be so happy because I think Chaos is stale. I think Suzuki Gun is stale. Like like the, the regular army, the Hontai, it, that's kind of stale as it is. I, I want to kind of see like a big shakeup, like you would see like in Dragon Gate or something like that, like of, of the units and, and the allegiances between different wrestlers. I think of all the factions, though, I'd say, like, to me, Bullet Club are the least still because they do kind of just constantly regenerate with a new leader, which is what I, that, which is what makes me still kind of like them because I think every Bullet Club 
is different and like going back to the shit Kenny comment I mean he my answer to that is like he's not he's not even trying to be Kenny though I think every time they kind of regenerate with a new leader it's pretty different but uh, I don't know what's going on with their leadership at the minute though I'm kind of worried with the evil seemingly in charge well, well maybe we, when when Jay White shows up and, and he can form a new 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 uh, new faction called the Knife Club or the Knife Perverts maybe that would be better the knife pervert society or something something like that yeah or or the uh my chemical romance cosplayers they can they can do that as well okay that's the worst comment because i dispute him being emo so heavily (laughs) there's like nothing more offensive than calling jay emo or anyone uh emo for that matter jay is not an emo well, I, I, I base that comment purely on his the vest he wears to the ring <laughs> in this ring. Because if you see that, it's like, my God, that's the same vest that like Gerard Way wears in whatever fucking video that, that features that. And I'm like, oh, my God. It, like, and, I, and I put out a tweet that says, who wore it better? And pictures Jay White wearing that vest and then Gerard Way wearing that vest in whatever music video. Sorry, I, sorry to all my... The uh, My Chemical Romance fans out there. I don't know. I don't know any of their songs. I just know I've seen like that that image of Gerard Way wearing a vest just like that. So it's not so much. He, I think he's an emo. I don't think he's an emo. He's too. He's too loud to be an emo <laughs> kind of person. But like, it's just that vest. Come on. I have to say, when he came out in that vest, because I am um, like, um, you know, I spent a lot of my uh, teenage years being like. Uh, the South Park goths that have to say we're not emo, we're goths, because once I was a teenager, I was a goth teenager, and then emo hit, and suddenly everyone thinks you're an emo, and I had to go around being like, I'm not an emo, I'm a goth, it's a totally different thing. Um, so I, I just have this kind of um, like not great feelings towards emos and my chemical romance, but then when he came out in that jacket, I was like, oh no, like I can't, I can't kind of defend you anymore for not being an emo because you're literally wearing a My Chemical Romance outfit. Like, why, why? <laughs> well, maybe he'll he'll have a new, you know, pandemic style entrance care when he comes back, Stephanie. We can we can only hope. I I hope he doesn't because I just like calling him My Chemical Switchblade on on Twitter. But anyways, uh, let's get into the match itself. So. Um, we we get in this uh, the night before though we have to talk about that that Jay White injured Kotobushi's legs with a chop block and chair shots uh, along with help from Ghetto in the the match angle after you know Jay White beat Nidal to make it the final so this is kind of a story that will play on into their match together uh, the first thing we see is Jay White comes out and he's bringing out with him the Bullet Club all of them Stephanie all of them including their new member Kenta and I wrote down this is already terrible. I wrote down, uh, this would have been better if they all wore their tracksuits. <laughs> because, you know, the matching tracksuits is a look. Um, I loved it because I love Jay um, mouthing off to the camera when he's making his entrances. So I love that him saying, you know, that they had Kenta there and now he's going to win the G1. I, I thought that was great. So this, of course, sets up the whole trope of Red Shoes Uno look, looking yeah. at all of them, putting his hands on his hips, and then just ejecting them from ringside. And I, I hate this shit too because this is just more performative art from someone I consider to be one of the worst referees in the business today, and that's Red Shoes Uno. And, and of course, he kicks out everyone, but of course, Ghetto is allowed to stay on the outside. Why not? 
what and what did annoy me is it did feel completely pointless considering they literally just walked out and were sent back so nothing happened and it felt like okay if they if they got kicked out like a couple of minutes into the match at least it would have seemed like it had more points but just like bringing them out just to do that spot of red shoes set in the back was uh, pretty silly well, and this kind of leads, you know, goes back to like when AJ Styles was the leader of the Bullet Club and he, he would do that with the Bullet Club when AJ was there. And of course, like during the time Kenny Omega was, you know, in, in the Bullet Club, he would do that with Kenny's matches if they all came out. And it's just like, I like, listen, this is so dumb. Like this is, this is just not, a, a, you know, like a cliche at this point. So I, I hate when they ever, they, they do this, but you know, it, we start the match and immediately Jay White bails out to the outside, doing his best Larry Zbysko impression, and 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 this is something like where I go back to the comment I made. This is like very much like Tetsuya Naito when he he was like you know the the original version of his Tranquilo character. Like he would bail out, he would stall starting the match, and it's something that Jay White has adopted as well. And it's just not something that I like. I understand why they do it to get heel heat, but like I just uh, just bothers me so much. Like as as a fan in the wrong way, you know, Stephanie, like I, I just hate when people stall in the matches, like, and it's, it's something that he incorporates into pretty much 90% of all his matches. Yeah. I like personally, I, I can see why it's annoying because it, it is designed to be, but I find it funny every time he does it. Um, like challenging Coda to come outside. Like I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just find it funny because he is, he is someone that's always in character and always talking a lot to the camera. And that for me makes things more enjoyable. But this match, like when it started, the crowd were so in Dakota, like the heat Jay was getting was pretty amazing. It made it feel like such a big match because the crowd were kind of given that minute to really cheer for Coda and make Jay just look like the most hated man in all of Japan. So as the match, you know, finally kind of gets started, like, so White and then Ghetto immediately try to go after the leg they injured the day before. And Red Shoes sees this, and now he kicks out Ghetto. And I am just like, now, like, not, not even 10 minutes in, Stephanie. And I'm, like, thinking, this is so fucking stupid. I, I hate this match already. He is the worst referee, Red Shoes. Uh, everything that happens to him as well. Just, I just can't imagine that this, is some guy, this is this guy's job and it's broadcast on television, the abuse he gets at work and it just continues every match. It just doesn't make sense. Well, you know, you know, my theory about Red Shizuno is that I, I think he's a failed actor. Like, and then <laughs> like being a referee is his chance of being a perform performative artist. Like, Oh, I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get to go into, you know, I didn't get to perform Shakespeare on stage in Tokyo, but I'm going to now do my first Hamlin impersonation <laughs> ring in the middle of some fucking wrestling match. But anyways, from here, Ibushi gets a hold of White on the outside and throws him back into the ring. So now, all right, we're, we're going to get into this match here. Uh, uh, White blocks the uh, Golden Triangle attempt and ties Ibushi's legs into the ropes and starts attacking it. So obviously, this, the strategy for Jay White is to, you know, 
continue working on that leg that he tacked the night before. Uh, he ties Ibushi's legs into the guardrails. He rams it into the ring post and apron to inflict further damage. So that's just his 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 um, his tactic. Go after this leg and like do everything like short of just like you know hitting it with a hammer into like into like really weakening Kotobushi and like that and it's smart because like most of Kotobushi's offense involves kicks or high flying moves which he needs his legs for. Yeah, absolutely. And Kota is just such an incredible seller and sympathy getter that the more you can make him look so in peril, like the more people are gonna get invested in in him fighting back. Yeah, so Ibushi does fight back. He rallies back with a Frankensteiner, a power slam, and a second root, a second rope moonsault. And I like the part where he sells his leg before flipping over, which is a nice touch. He, he's actually uh, selling his leg, which is like one of the, actually, you know, let's let's be honest. It's one of the few times he, he does sell this this leg damage that he's been getting. Um, he goes for a series of standing moonsaults, and and White dodges the second attempt, and Ibushi lands on his knees. So again. His, his legs are damaged. There's a DDT from Jay White, an uppercut in the corner. And then Jay does this kind of leg brace, knee breaker. And then he does a twisting suplex body slam combo. But he only gets a two on Ibushi. I really like this kind of like he gets the guy up into like a vertical suplex. But then he twists and mm-hmm. kind of, and, he, and he lands the guy flat on his back. But it kind of like also looks like kind of a brain buster. And it's one of the, the, the moves that I think he does really well in his matches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He has He actually has a really good moveset and um, I think we'll get into it later in the match but he does have a really good skillful moveset and I think one of the things and I know some other people point this out like in his defense but I think the way he plans out his matches and moves is so intentional you know to tell that story um, I think pulling stuff like that out of his arsenal uh, is is really good well I mean like his his finisher is the Blade Runners it's kind of like a uh... You know, it's 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 you know Alex Shelley's shell shock move, which I'm sure that's where he got it from. Um, but it's kind of like a kind of a version of a DDT style move, right? So like you know, working on the head and neck is is something that he does a lot. I and the idea of him going after you know Kudabushi's legs is to kind of cut cut his offense pretty much by eighty percent, and the all the other stuff that he does is designed to weaken the neck and and the and the head of. Kodobushi so he can set up his Blade Runner. Um, from here, Kodobushi fires back with a succession of kicks while on his back. It looks really good. He's really good like fighting from underneath. Uh, Jay White tries for a chop block again, but Ibushi jumps into the air. And then as he comes out, he double stomps Jay White right in the ass. And I'm thinking, wow, that's got to suck. That's got to legit hurt. I don't see how you can like like hold that back. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He probably couldn't sit down after this. Uh, Kota Ibushi continues with some rapid fire kicks, but you know Jay White hits the complete shot, which he gets, of course, from his mentor and manager Ghetto, and then follows up with a deadlift German suplex. And one thing you got to say about Jay White, like this man is strong. I mean, he he deadlifts someone who in Kota Ibushi who's just like a massive muscle here, and and he and he he does this to like a lot of his opponents, and it's and it's impressive every time he does it. Yeah, he's really strong, and if you over the, that past year, he really bulked up a lot and really improved his strength so much that you kind of only notice if you go back and watch like Wrestle Kingdom 12, like how much he's changed physically. Yeah, I think if you, you know, like he's he looks way different than when he was a young lion and, uh, and definitely a lot different from when he was in, um, in Ring of Honor. I, I do think he kind of like 
like kind of slimmed down, but like yeah. added more tone to his his body rather than just bulk. That's mm-hmm. my impression. Yeah, he's he definitely um, like I don't want to say trimmed off the fat, but yeah, he basically did. He's he slimmed down and I think focused more on on strength training and and diet and stuff. But he has made like quite the quite the physical transformation. Uh, so from here, White hits Ibushi with a massive top rope superplex, which uh, further hurts Ibushi's legs along with his back. Uh, Ibushi is able to recover and hits his modified tombstone pod driver on White. I forget the name of this, but basically he's he's just crushing Jay's head and neck into the mat. It looks very painful. Excuse me. Uh, they trade forearm shots that Ibushi wins this exchange, but uh, Jay White comes back with a series of his trademark strikes like there's a combo sequence that he does including like a forearm to the face that um looks really good uh ibushi tries to come back but he's caught in the urinagi a great version of the urinagi from jay white and then is hit by jay white's kiwi crusher for a two count here and and i think at this point we can safely say like this is the point where okay like they're ramping things up stephanie yeah this is the point where the match really really gets exciting because uh, i think here- jay- Sorry, I think with Jay, sometimes his matches can start pretty slow. And you, you're you waiting for that bit where they really ramp up, and that's where it happened here. Yeah, definitely. So from here, like we, we see our his first attempt at the Blade Runner. Uh, Kuda Ibushi escapes from that. He tries a knee to the face, but Jay White catches it. Uh, White tries for his sleeper suplex, but Ibushi goes behind and hits him with a half-and-half half suplex. Uh, Ibushi goes for the lawn dart. But White escapes and rams Ibushi into Red Shoes for our first ref bump of the match. And to be and to be fair, maybe I it's the only ref bump of this match, so we didn't see like multiple rough bump rough uh, sorry ref bumps. I my uh, getting a little tongue tied there. Uh, but I, I wrote then that I'm sure Ghetto is going to make us a reappearance soon from the back. And what do you know? He does, and we'll get to that a little later. But this is a great sequence, like between these two, like where like they're kind of like you know, escaping from each other's moves and just, you know, kind of like know each other really well. You, you know, that whole idea that like people, like commentators say, oh, they must have, they studied hours and hours of tapes of their opponent before they got into this match. It kind of would, would seem true in, in the kayfabe world of wrestling here. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of Jay's major strengths is how good he is at doing like sequences and reversal sequences with his opponents. And this, this is a particularly good one. Oh, definitely, and 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 then you know we we talk about like you know the you know, there's a ref bump, then then Jay White hits a low blow, and here comes Ghetto, and I just wrote down, gee, wonder what this reminds me of in 2020. Mm, someone else involved in Bullet Club now. There, there's definitely a bullet a Bullet Club formula to main event matches. If if someone is in the main event or or the IWGP champion, Stephanie, it, it, this is like so much the evil playbook. This is like where evil lifts his playbook is from, you know, the, the, the ghetto Jay White playbook. Yeah. Who do you think is more of a um, failed actor looking for a, a performance during a match ghetto or red shoes? Oh, definitely red shoes. <laughs> definitely red shoes. Like it's, it's embarrassing the way this man performs in the ring and and just takes me out of a lot of the matches that he officiates. Uh, Ghetto, of course, brings out a chair for Jay White to use. Uh, White does something to Ibushi, but we don't see it because, you know, the camera operator has to focus on the true star of this match at this point, and that's, of course, Ghetto. <laughs> so I don't know what I don't know what Jay White did to Kota Ibushi in the ring because, like, the camera was totally focused on Ghetto, you know, because, you know, he's the, he's the booker man and he, he's the main star right now. 
<laughs> this is Gato's main event for sure. Definitely. Uh, uh, wait, now the star has made his way into the ring with the chair. So, of course, this is Ghetto we're talking about. The crowd is booing this, and I, and I got to say, I don't think this is like kind of the heat you want. I think this is go-away heat that, that the, the, the crowd just doesn't want to see this because this is the G1 Finals. Like, okay, this happens in other main events or something like that, even for you know, a match involving the IWGP title. But you know what? And, I'm, and, I'm, and I feel this way because like, you know, I've been watching this stuff for a long time. I've been a fan of the G1 for, since the 90s, Stephanie. That's how old I am. I'm not going to say my exact age, but, but I am uh, of an older fan. And, and I don't want to see this because this is stuff that doesn't happen in the G1. And this is like the first time like all this stuff that, you know, stuff that I don't like. In, in Japanese wrestling, I don't like the creeping in of the American influence into Japanese wrestling, especially in New Japan. And before everyone, you know, yells at me, oh, but WH, they did, they, that, they did that in Inoki's time. Oh, they did that in the 90s. They did that in the early 2000s. Yes, and I hated it back then, so shut the fuck up, okay? But anyways, uh, um, in, the, sorry, uh, the crowd is booing this as White assaults Ibushi's like with 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 ghetto's help and, and i just like i've just like lost it for this match at this point steph like i just oh what why is this happening that's the problem i think and i actually do agree because like we were just saying they had such a good sequence and then all this shit happens that takes you out of it and then if you're someone who is actually a supporter slash defender of jay white like this is the bit that then people pick out of the match to sound off about. And I just think, like, ugh, if they didn't have that in the match, then maybe everyone could appreciate, like, how good he actually is because they wouldn't be distracted by this whole Gato interference that was totally unnecessary in this match. Well, I, I think it's also something that's detrimental to, to evil, you know? Like, he's yeah. he's reliant on... I mean, in his own moveset, he does a lot of stupid things, like, you know, like, using the ref to like hold people's legs or using the the magic killer using the ref as as kind of like you know his partner i i hate all those moves because it just makes the ref look stupid but like the chair spots that evil does this is all things that detract from the fact that you know he he he's actually a good wrestler like i've seen you know the the match he he had with okada where he beat okada in in uh, in osaka in a g1 before and i thought oh my god he's come and like because he he wrestled that match as a wrestler, like uh, like kind of a uh, a wrestler with kind of a vicious streak and a mean streak, and that's fine. I like wrestlers like that, but I don't like uh, relying on foreign objects, relying on like doing stuff on the outside, relying on managers helping. And I think you know the thing with Jay White that's detrimental to his you know his perception, like how people perceive him, fans like me, is that he is reliant on the booking of using ghetto to interfere a lot and him using foreign objects and stuff like that. And I, it, that goes to what you're saying, of course, like it's something like if you showed Jay White, the wrestler, like I think, and if, if he's a wrestler who talks loudly in his interviews, that's fine. If he's a wrestler who has a mean streak and, and here's the thing, I wish they would do cheating correctly where like, it doesn't make the ref look stupid. Like you can, make the ref you can make yourself look smart without making the ref look stupid as a heel you know what i mean but they don't do that it's like all they do is make referees in their company this includes marty asami and kenta sato as well they make all these refs in this company look stupid when they do all this cheating yeah and red shoes is particularly bad like this man there are matches where he takes basically multiple naps during it because of being knocked out and it does 
it does make the referee look stupid and it does cause the problem of just people kind of wondering like what what actually are the rules in New Japan because you sometimes uh, have to wonder with all the interference they have and you have to wonder like with Red Shoes he's gone through this so many times that he should literally see this coming every single time well, he doesn't. Anyways, uh, <laughs> from here, uh, Jay White continues his assault. He's uh, he does a dragon dragon dra- uh, sorry, just tongue tied here. Dragon screw leg whip, and he applies his uh, reverse figure four leg lock. That I forget the name of this move. He, he named it after Tanahashi because this is how he yeah. beat Tanahashi, right? Yeah, it's the TTO Tana Tap Out. Okay, yeah. So he's got the TTO, and, and this is a great-looking move. I do really like this move that uh, Jay White does. Uh, but Ibushi won't quit, and, and, and I also made a note that Red Shoes has a stupid look on his face when he's asking Ibushi if he's going to quit. I just like uh, – I, mean, I got to say, Stephanie, maybe my hatred of Red Shoes in this match is greater than my hatred of, of Jay White. Well, that's actually nice to hear. <laughs> it's nice to hear that someone surpassed <laughs> Uh, Ibushi finally makes it to the rope, so the 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 mat, the, the, the the move is broken. Uh, Ibushi is able to hit a Pele kick on White. He follows up finally with a lawn dart on Jay White into the corner, and and I pop big for this because I you know I don't want to see anyone get hurt legit in this in, in wrestling, but this is a really devastating looking move. And and anytime the switchblade looks like he's devastatingly injured, like in, in kayfabe terms, then I, I'm happy about that, Stephanie. <laughs> that is such an evil thing to say. <laughs> no, I don't want him legit hurt. Legit hurt. I just want him kayfabe hurt, where he looks like it, it really hurt. You know, and you know, I, I'll be say, I'll say this. I'm not a huge fan of this move because I do think it's really dangerous to do. But thankfully, Jay White was actually okay. Uh, from here, Ibushi hits uh, his second rope apron uh, uh, to like so. Jay White's on the apron. Kudabushi gets grabs him from the uh, from the inside the ring. And he he's standing on the second rope, and he deadlift he deadlifts Jay White into the air, and then brings it back into the ring with a German suplex. This move is freaking awesome. Yeah, it looks so cool. Koda working those back muscles. This guy's the best back in wrestling. Who who's uh, who's number two and three then? For the best back. Yes. Um. Well, I would say. I think Lacey Evans is a really good back. That's that's an odd choice, I know. But when I watch Lacey Evans, I think she really works those back muscles. Uh, number three, best back. Hmm. Try to think. I, I don't think it would be Jay because I'm not that impressed by his back. Uh, I have to get back to you in that one. But Coda is like, I don't think anyone has a better like worked out back than Coda. All right, well, get, get back to me on Twitter. Just, you know, just tag me. <laughs> These are my top three facts in professional wrestling. So we, we got we got Jay White and I uh, know we got Kotobushi and Lacey Evans. We we need one more. So you'll you'll get back to me about that on Twitter. So keep everyone on Twitter, you know, keep an eye out for that tweet to me. Uh, uh, White slaps Ibushi hard, but this only serves to awaken killer Ibushi. One of my favorite things about Kotobushi's matches is when he, he awakens the evil side of himself, the aggressive pissed off side and and this you know this makes jay white do a comically bad frightened act i gotta say his acting was pretty bad in here as well <laughs> he went to the red shoes school of performing arts i heard that's right like the mime the mime act he he took the uh you know that that part of the workshop with red shoes that you know cost about a thousand yen an hour but they they all take it because like you know red shoes got to make some money 
they sent Shota to uh, to the UK. Uh, Ibushi unleashes some stiff slaps to the face and body, as well as some kicks. This is one of the few march parts of the match that I like, Stephanie. Um, Ibushi invites White to slap him, which he does, but Ibushi answers right back and sends White crumbling to the mat. And it's, it's like, okay, Ibushi is on the come up. He's gonna he's gonna be like taking this to the the, the crescendo of the match, and, and we're gonna get. The end of this match, but it's not happening, Stephanie. We still got a ways to go. Ibushi goes for his big lariat, but White catches him with another dragon screw leg whip. He goes for a second one, but Ibushi gets to it and, and hits a glancing lariat, and then follows up with the last ride power bomb. And and I think we can safely say we're we're hitting that that tidal wave cl- to the closing stretch of the match, Stephanie. Absolutely, Jay White's got his uh, finishing sequence reversals ready to go. Uh, White barely kicks out at 2.5 from this last ride power bomb. Uh, Ibushi sets up for the Bomaye, which he lists from Shinsuke Nakamura, of course. But uh, you know, White does his crumbling to the mat and play, playing possum act, and yeah. he basically he basically sandbags Ibushi as he tries to get him back up. And I kind of of two minds of this part of Jay White's act. Like I understand why he does it, and and I think it's smart. Like you know, tactically in, in the match itself. But it just, I don't know why, maybe because it's Jay White. I, you know, I'm just biased against him. Like, I, I hate, I hate this part of his act as well. I mean, I quite like it. Um, but at the same time, it can sometimes take me out of the match as well. So I thought it worked here though. Um, from here, uh, White distracts the moron that is known as Red Shoes Uno. While uh, Ghetto sneaks in with a pair of knuckle dusters, but uh, Ibushi ducks his punch and floors Ghetto with a kick to the head. But but White hits the sleeper suplex on Ibushi, and again, like I don't know how many times Red Shoes is made to look stupid by other people and by himself in in this match. Stephanie, I've I've lost count. <laughs> it's at least over ten every punch. <laughs> that poor guy. Uh, from here, Ibushi recovers White right away from the super suplex, and he nails Jay White with a knee to the back of his head. He then hits the Bomei properly, but it's only for a two count. Ibushi tries for the Kamigoye, but White attacks his bad leg. Uh, and this is really where this comes into play, like all the stuff he did early in the match and the night before is really working in, in this part of the match where he's like countering like these, these like the, you know, the getting destroyed by Ibushi with his finishers by attacking that leg because like it's dependent on on him having a healthy leg and a knee absolutely this is where all this great um you know leg work and psychology by Jay pays off to make you could account get it I I have to you know admit that this this is all really good stuff from Jay White uh he hits the the Bomaye, but it's oh sorry I, I'm back in my notes here uh uh, Ibushi comes back from getting his leg attacked, but with uh, two head kicks to Jay White. Wonderful stuff. He goes for the Komegoye, but White hits the Blade Runner, but you know Jay's too spent to cover Ibushi right away. And the, gr- the crowd, you can tell the crowd really doesn't want White to win the match, because they yeah. think, oh my god, he hit it! And they've really protected this move. The Blade Runner is one of the most protected moves in, in New Japan, but the exactly. thing is, is like he's too. He's been he's been too injured himself. He's been too worn down to cover him right away. So that was that really... flashback to his match with Okada at Madison Square Garden. I remember he hit that Blade Runner, and then he couldn't make the cover. <laughs> and I was just so shouting, like, "Just move, please!" But yeah. 
I, I was at home watching that live on my TV, and I was just like, don't cover him. Don't cover him. I was like, don't win this match. I don't want you to win this match. But uh, uh, from here, White crosses Ibushi's arms to set up for the uh, implant DDT. But Ibushi nails him with a headbutt to his face. Uh, Ibushi hits a straitjacket suplex and maintains wrist control for the Kamigoye again. But White reverses it into another sleeper suplex. And then he hits another one. Then he hits a brain buster. Uh, White picks up Ibushi for the Blade Runner, but Ibushi counters with a knee to Jay White's face. And and what's your feeling at this part of the match? Because it's like Fast and Furious right now. Yeah, it's getting to that point where I'm like on the edge of my seat. And when Koda hit that knee to the face, I just thought, oh, <laughs> it's done. I really felt at this point, I had a little bit of hope that he could win before this. But once it got into this like fast section, I thought, no, he's done for. So the, the Kamigoye again is reversed into a Blade Runner, but Ibushi escapes that and hits a jumping knee and then another one. And then he hits like a half Kamigoye and he only gets a two count. So he like the, the thing about that is like he only had one of Jay White's wrists in, in, in his in his own hands. And like he so it wasn't the full version of the Kamigoye. And I knew that this wasn't going to get a three count. Uh, but finally, and here we go, Ibushi drops his knee pad and then he hits the proper Kamigoye for the one two, and three. And I remember jumping out of my seat thinking, thank God, Kota Ibushi won this match and not Jay White. What was your feeling? Um, my feeling was firstly that it was a really great match. Um, and secondly, that Kota, Kota deserved to win the G1 as well. So like I was with Okada at Madison Square Garden, I was a realistic fan and I was very happy for Kota. But I was happy for Jay for having a really good match. Did you? Yeah, I, I, oh, sorry. I was going to say, um, did you listen to the English or Japanese commentary? So I I have a thing because like I I've been watching Japanese wrestling since the nineties that I I find it odd to watch Japanese wrestling with English commentary. So I I don't like, and my Japanese is not that great. I'm not going to say like I understand everything they're saying. But I understand enough of it's what they're saying, and to me, it's more natural to watch it with 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 Japanese commentary. So I know I, I probably miss a lot of stuff like that Chris talks about in his commentary, and that like Kevin Kelly and whoever, and I guess Gino Gambino talks about with like you know like what's happening in the context of this match and stuff like that. But what what were they saying during the the English commentary, Stephanie? Well, what I was going to bring up is if you weren't listening to English commentary, you probably missed uh, Gato when when uh, Kota won. Rocky told Gero, I guess, was uh, unconscious on the floor, and Rocky woke him up to tell him that Coda had just won, and Gato shouted, "Bullshit! Don't lie to me." So he's just getting his last little spot in there. There you go. He's he's playing up to the uh, to the the English audience with uh, this uh, heel stick manager stuff that he does for 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 all of uh, JY's matches here. Um, so the aftermath of this would be, of course, that Kodabushi would parlay this win into the double goal chase that would result in him challenging Kota, uh, Kazuchika Okada on January 4th at uh, the Tokyo Dome this year. And he would come up short in that match because then, of course, Tetsuya Naito defeats Jay White to become the United States... Uh, sorry, not the United States, the Intercontinental Champion. And then he would win both titles from Kazuchika Okada and become the double champ until he's defeated by, you know, the, the new Jay White evil... <laughs> earlier this year uh and then yeah i i don't know like for me um i i gave this out of a five star rating i gave this a three and a half 
I, I think it's one of the weaker G ones in my in in, in my opinion, uh, due to you know the switchblade you know, heel stick like that's evident in a lot, a lot of his matches. Um, G one, I don't like just for me like G ones. They're sacrosanct, you know, like especially the finals. They shouldn't have any of this shit in them. That's just my opinion. And, you know, the the last thing I see is like, you know, got to say is that, you know, Harold May presents a trophy and the flag that goes to the G1 winners to Kota Bushi. And it's a, and it's a great moment from there. Your, your final thoughts about this match, Stephanie? I'd give it a four star out of five. Um, the reason it would lose points is for the interference. Um, but I think that it was a great match, and I think it worked out how I thought it would with Coda being a great baby face and Jay being a really great heel. But I just could have absolutely lose, lost the interference. And I agree with what you say. I think one of the things that makes me like New Japan so much is that it, it seems so much more meaningful and serious than what we see in American wrestling. And doing stuff like the interference, especially the G1 final, does dilute that a lot. So that does annoy me. But overall, I did think it was a really great match, and it was the match I wanted, and I'm happy with how it worked out. Uh, so before we get to the, the trivia part of uh, this episode, Stephanie, I want to ask you, like, so we, you know, as of this writing, like, we're going to... It's not this writing, sorry, we're, we're in my head. As of this recording, uh, we, we, we've announced... We've gotten the announcement that New Japan is going to run pretty much a full G1 schedule and that it's likely they're going to have like, you know, 20 participants, but, um, you know, none of the, you know, blocks are going to mix. So basically all the A block wrestlers are just going to work the A block shows. They're not going to work the B block shows and vice versa. And what kind of, what kind of feelings do you have about this upcoming G1 tour? Um, I think my feeling is more just, um, it's like kind of worry of how it will go to plan. I think them doing it, like there's a risk, like we've already seen like a show canceled today. So there's a risk that it won't go ahead. But um, I do wonder just how they're going to fill the spots if they don't have um, the Americans. I think what I really want to see from this G1 with how everything stands is them letting Hiromu in there. I think that's the best way to save the G1 this year if they can't do it how they usually do. And so I, I feel like that Hiromo is going to be in there. Yeah. And and I, I feel like, you know, that one of the possible main events they could go with with Wrestle Kingdom is Hiromo Takahashi versus Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP title. And I think the, the easiest way... And this doesn't necessarily mean that this is what New Japan or Ghetto are going to do. But the easiest way to get there would be to have Hiromu in the G1 and, and possibly win the whole thing. Yeah, that would be incredible. Uh, like he, after the, I wanted him to win the New Japan Cup, but then obviously I didn't know the plans, the master plan that, that Ghetto had for the New Japan Cup. But um, I think it'd be incredible if he won the G1 because if this kind of weird time period has shown anything. It's that Hiromu has the potential to be the absolute ace of the company. So I'd, I want to see him drop um, the junior title and just full on move into heavyweight. 
So if you know if he he does lose the junior title before the you know the G one starts, then I think it's it's pretty much a given that we're gonna we're gonna see Hiromu in in the G one and and possibly in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom of twenty twenty one. We shall see though. Uh, let, let's get to the trivia part. So all of this is from uh, twenty nineteen. So Stephanie, oh. let me ask you about some pop culture first. Uh, what is the top song in the United Kingdom charts on August twelfth uh, at this time last year? Wow. Um, so as I said earlier about being a goth, like my music taste is very not modern at all. <laughs> so I have absolutely no idea. Can you give me any kind of clue? Um, not really, because I have no idea who, what the song is or who these artists are. Um, let's it's just go ahead and say it's, it's a song called Senorita by Sean Mendes and Camilla Cabello. And I have no idea. I've never heard this song. And I don't know who either of these two are. I know who Camilla Cabello is, but um, I've never heard of that song. And when you said Senorita, I thought you were going to say it was a Justin Bieber song. Because I feel like he has a song called that too. So, yeah, safe to say I've never heard that song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what, is, what, what, what is the number one album in, in the United Kingdom uh, of this week as well? Um, right. Any hint there? <laughs> uh it's it's by uh, an artist that that uh, Noel Gallagher of Oasis likes to make fun of. Oh, it's um, it's oh, I can see his face. It's it's likable, likable Ed Sheeran type lookalike man. Why can I not remember his name? Well, actually, it it is Ed Sheeran. Oh, is it? It is. I thought it was the other guy. I don't know who the other guy. is. <laughs> oh, Lewis Capaldi! I thought it was Lewis Capaldi, um, who also gets made fun of by by the Gallagher's. But oh no, Ed, I don't like Ed Sheeran at all. Um, he's a very annoying man with um, an offensive um, song um, to Irish people. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I I did not know that. But uh, anyways, it's number six collaborations project by by Ed Sheeran. That's the number one album in the UK charts. Hello. I'm sorry. What a title! Number six collaborations project. I have no idea what that means. Wow. Okay. <laughs> was was there a number one to five collaborations project by by Ed Sheeran? I have no oh. idea, and I, I and I don't care to know because like Ed Sheeran does is not the type of music that I like either. Um, what is the number one movie at the box office at this point in the UK? Um. Okay. I would say that it's too late for it to be. Um, Avengers Endgame. So is it another Marvel movie? Uh no. So I'll give you a hint. It's it's a live action version of a very popular uh, animated movie. Okay. Is it Aladdin? It's it's not Aladdin. You're you're in oh, the same universe. Lion King? It is the Lion King. The Lion King oh, is uh, oh, okay. the, the, the live action version is the was- number one movie of the box. Haven't seen it. Sorry. Well, don't don't tell that to Davy Portman. He'll get really angry. Really? Does he like The Lion King? Oh, he's a he's apparently like if you tell him you haven't seen like certain Disney movies, he'll get he gets very upset about this. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm an adult, so <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. Please, please appear on something with Raiden and Davy, and then tell Davy like I'm an adult. I haven't seen like these. 
Disney movies. <laughs> I, 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 just so I can hear his response because I think it'll be very, very amusing to me. But let, let's move on to the wrestling portion of this trivia. And, and Stephanie, who is the never open weight singles champion at this time? Um, okay, so my memory is very bad. Um, never open. Shingo? It's, it's not Shingo. Okay, so the, the the clue is this wrestler, like Shingo Takagi, did not start off in the New Japan system, but he joined later and became pretty much synonymous with modern day New Japan. Oh my god, I can't think. Sorry, Suzuki. It's not Suzuki. It's 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 Tomohiro Ishii is the uh, oh, champion. This I did say I did say Ishii after I said Shingo, but I may have said it too quietly. You can oh, check. Maybe I, I I didn't hear that. Yeah. So okay. So we give it to you. The, the second time was the charm. So Tomohiro Ishii is the never open weight champion. Uh, back in over in America, who is the WWE Raw Women's Champion in August of 2019? Oh my god. Um, is it Becky? It is. It is Becky Lynch. She is. Uh, I think she was the longest reigning champ of that of that title, right? That, yeah, that would have been, she would have won it that WrestleMania against right. um, Charlotte, yeah. And and she would be, no, it wasn't against, it was against, Ronda was a champion before that, right? But Charlotte was in that match? Yeah, yeah. And, and finally, the end of our trivia here, who are the NXT Tag Team Champions in August of 2019? Oh, God. Um, okay, I may need a couple of guests in this. Street Profits? You're correct. It is oh. the Street Profits. They are the champions. Oh, wow. I was like, they, who's an NXT tag team? Street Profits. Right. I, I think they won it in that ladder four-way mm-hmm. at some, at, I think it was at a takeover. I, I can't remember. Like, I, I can't remember things that happened last month in wrestling, let alone last year. So yeah. I, I would not have gotten any of these. I can tell you that right away. Like, so it's, it. I, I applaud that you, 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 your memory was good enough to to make correct guesses with Becky Lynch and the Street Profits, and of course your second attempt with, with Tommy Hiroshi with the Never Open Weight Champion question. But uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for for coming on the show, and I I really enjoyed talking with you, especially having that counterpoint to my absolute hatred of Switchblade Jay White. I think it's nice to have like you make great arguments for why you're you like Jay White, and I, I think I think you represent the a lot of the fans out there, and I. I readily admit like i'm probably in a minority me and joe lemon are probably the minority of people who who hate jay white i think most people like jay white so it is we are the we are representing the unpopular opinion on on this matter so it's good that you're representing the, the more popular opinion regarding jay white i was gonna ask you do you know um what is your sense of how the japanese feel about jay um i I think they like Jay White because, you know, they like the story of the foreigners yeah. who come to Japan to to work the dojo system. And I think they really liked him when he was a young lion and they were excited to come back. I, I think they like like me. They they were confused by this character initially. And I don't I think a lot of Japanese fans, you know, like especially the, the ones my age and maybe a little bit younger are 
are more a fan of the, you know, like kind of straight head wrestling without too much interference or anything like that. So they don't really like this character. It's like, these are the same fans who don't like the elite. They don't like Cody Rhodes in new Japan. They don't like the, you know, the cleaner version of Kenny Omega. They, they didn't like a lot of the early AJ style stuff in new Japan, but I think they feel the same way about Jay White because he represents kind of like that American influence into Japanese wrestling. Um, but I do think there will be a point where, you know, like where he'll get more general acceptance. I do think he's popular with, with younger wrestling fans. I do think he has a great appeal for the, 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 the female fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, that's something that, that New Japan is very good at is, is, is kind of marketing like kind of the their, their younger wrestlers who have that kind of like this what we call idol appeal. Yeah, to, like their their female fans, and I think Jay kind of f- fits into that mold as well. So, yeah, for me, not not really a big fan, but for like younger fans and male and female, like I think he's he's very popular with them because they're kind of used to this kind of new style of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, I hope talking to me, you maybe like him even like half a percent more than you did an hour and a half ago. Um, I I, I will plead the fifth on on that. Uh, <laughs> in answering that question. So, uh, yeah. Steph, like I, I, I do have a lot of respect for a, a lot of your opinions, including your opinions about Jay White, but I don't know if it's going to change my mind, but if people want to get, uh, more examples of your work, where can they find you? Um, yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Stephanie M chase and, um, on YouTube, Stephanie chase wrestling. And then on our WWE section and on digital spy, that's where a lot of my, uh, interviews go up and on sports Kita as well where i do some instagram live chats and stuff with them over on their instagram page and and just you know you got some some really cool stuff recently as of this recording you just did an interview with with bronson reed of nxt and yeah. uh yeah and i'm excited to see like i think between you and and post wrestling's andrew thompson like there's just some great interviews being done with with professional wrestlers that you know like maybe we don't see too much exposure to from like, you know, not, I'm not going to say bigger outlets, but like, you know what I mean? Like kind of like, it's good to see like you and, and people like Andrew, like doing these interviews that kind of, kind of bring a different perspective to questions and the such. Yeah. Andrew does absolutely amazing work as well. I, I enjoy his interviews and he's definitely someone to follow as well. Yeah. So on behalf of all the listeners, thank you again, and and I and I hope to uh, do something with you again on on a podcast in the future. We'll we'll talk about that maybe uh, off air. But yeah, and I'm I'm really excited for this to get up. And and yeah, and thank you so much. And uh, on behalf of you, I want to thank all the listeners for listening. I I hope people you know missed Cruel Summer, and I hope that uh, you, you look forward to next year's episode where we're going to talk about the 2020 G1 Finals that you know are. Hopefully will happen this fall. And yeah, and until then, I'll say goodbye.